they used the Soviet system as a sort of model for it. In fact, it was a testbed for much of it, in fact. And here we are living through this, and, and uh, most folk don't even know it's happening. They're completely unaware uh, that all the changes and all this terrorism nonsense and all the, the, this role for the lack of privacy, they don't really care about the lack of privacy. In fact, they're being encouraged through everything that's free out there on the Internet to give all their data out, and they don't mind. And you see, in all ages, these people were called the dead. They are the dead. I'll be back to the living after the following messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, back with Cutting Through the Matrix and talking to the land of the living, I hope. And amongst those two, there's those who are coming up from the land of the dead, and that's called the lame. You teach the lame to walk. That's how they used to say it in the ancient times in the mystery religions. And teaching the blind to see, teaching those to see things as they really are, instead of the way that they've been conditioned to perceive them. And that's what it also meant as well, teaching the blind or helping the blind or curing them. And all this terminology came down through various religions, but was never understood by those that taught it especially from pulpits, and probably never ever will be. That's why they fight each other, because they can't understand the contradictions. They're all, it's all esoteric language, and every holy book has its, its terms buried within, and I'm sure they were all connected at one time in a worldwide society in much, much older times. In fact, there's, there are some... Apart from the evidence that's left in archaeology, there's also evidence that there was a global society in ancient times, perhaps not as advanced as it's made out to be, but certainly they traveled across the world and they built similar structures and lived in similar ways. And we also have old scriptures to do with people that ran the ancient world or took it over and dominated it and who were hunted down at the end and who had to go and live in caves to escape the people or to be killed. These were the parasites that lived off the public and caused all the problems and caused dissensions and wars and profited from the public, of course. And that's why, in ancient times, these same people who escaped had to start off with their secret signs and symbols so they could recognize each other and communicate with each other and find each other all over again. That was the start of the, the nasty type of mystery religion. And it's come right down through the centuries with this understanding of human nature and with its old archives, I'm sure, of how to manipulate vast herds of people. Because if formulas work in one age, they will always work in another, as Plato said. He himself, having been taught in the mystery schools of Egypt, so here we are today, as I say, at the culmination of what they claim is going to be the, the century of the completion of the great work, which is to remake everything the way they think it should be made, including humanity and human beings that serve them. Hence the rush and the, the money and power that's gone into the research to do with genetics 
and the, the need to label and tag everyone on the planet, including your blood type, your blood group, and your genotype. That's what it's all about. Who will live, who will die, who's useful, who's not, who will have certain traits and characteristics that you need, and which ones will you not need. In fact, which ones will you definitely eliminate? And that's what all this is all about. It's nothing to do with terrorism. You see, according to the big boys at the top, all of us, all of us who don't belong to the boys at the top are terrorists. We're all mentally ill, according to them, as they've written in their own psychology books and psychiatric books. The old people, the old system, those with old-fashioned ideas, like caring for others, family, teaching the children their own values and so on. That's called mental illness. You're contaminating your children. And that's why the government's been taking over the roles of parents, causing dissension, causing dissension between male and female, between parent and child, until everyone's isolated and government runs each and every one of them. That was always the intention. And it's worked very, very well indeed. So well, as I say, that most people who are, they live in an emotional frenzy, most folk, they don't really think logically. They're not taught to think logically, and they can't really figure it out. They just react and follow along and actually copy uh, the things that they watch on television, the dramas, the movies, and so on. They copy what the actors and actresses would do in that position in this particular or that particular story, and they mimic what they hear, and they repeat what they hear. It's quite an interesting phenomena. But as I say, they knew all this in ancient times, so much so that even the slaves in ancient Greece in Attica had to go and attend the dramas from the traveling shows that came around the cities. It was by, by law, everyone had to attend at least one showing of a particular play. And Plato again noted that the public would press and emulate the fashions they saw displayed there. They'd copy and repeat like parrots the words, the new words that they heard, new terms. And uh, they'd even start singing the songs that were made for them to sing. Plato said that the young especially are more apt to act on songs and poetry. It had a tremendous impact on their minds, which are very inquiring. And he wanted musicians even to be licensed. He said they had a tremendous power, a very powerful ability to influence the young, especially, of course, for rebellion. And Plato, being a member of the aristocracy, uh, didn't want that at the time. He wanted a long-drawn-out rebellion because that was part of his job after being trained in Egypt. All of those who were trained in Egypt left Egypt with the intent of starting at least the, the lighting the fuse of a long-term distant rebellion and bringing in a particular system, not unlike the system that Britain decided to bring in worldwide long ago. The British Empire that was coined in the 1500s, the term itself, was to bring in an empire based on free trade with the intent of eventually making those countries and their governments adapt to a British-style system. A system, mind you, where eventually in the future there would be no private property. No private property. Now, where did we hear that before? Yeah, Plato put that in the Republic as well, didn't he? 
elite wouldn't need to own private property because then they'd have to worry about its upkeep. They'd have to repair things. The servants would steal stuff. They'd have to replace stuff. And so it's far better if they were the government and they'd live in palaces and the government would maintain them. They'd pay for the upkeep. They'd pay for the maintenance. And anything that was stolen, the public would replace. So technically, that's what we have today. The elites really don't have anything. Everything's in trusts, you see, trusts. It's only to a public that thought he had private property. And that was a good trick until they gave you property taxes. And if you notice on your deeds when you buy them, the property itself, it says you are a tenant, which simply means an occupier, not an owner. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting how we're all so gullible and we take it all by, by form. By form is by taking it by your parents. Your parents don't know, therefore you don't ask the questions. Either you think it's all quite above board. We don't ask questions. So we're living in a corn game where the final stage is being set, has been set to bring us through periods of fuel shortages, uh, rising costs, incredible rising costs of fuel, all energies to go skyrocketing according to Kyoto. And they've already gone after your water supply. In Britain, the company that took over the water supplies of Britain that the public had built up over a couple of centuries with their tax money, it was given over to the guys who just left politics and who had to put the bill forward. Right, the scam, isn't it? And there's no one investigating that because that's white-collar crime and that's spotlessly okay. But they're also going after other countries now too and the natural gas, the same organization. You have the big boys, big five agribusinesses have successfully, with government backing them, put all small bar farmers out of business and they now own the food supply of the entire planet. One of the biggest organizations behind this globalization agenda on behalf of Britain and the US is the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and you should punch it up on your websites, the RIIA, and look into their categories on food. You'll find that they have the biggest think tanks to do with projecting what's to be done with food in the future, ongoing think tanks, because food is going to be the next big weapon. That's where it's all heading. And as energy costs go up, as they found out in Europe, and their food has gone up 40%, 30 to 40%, you're going to get hit here too in the West. And as these shortages start to come in and we can't afford it anymore, I know that there'll add a few plagues and famines along the way too you're going to find riots are going to break out. And that's why the other big think tank that works for the Department of Defense, now this is no conspiracy group. These are the characters who plan and project the future. They're paid big money, big money not to make mistakes. And they see 30 years of riots, riots from within Joe and Jane public. You know, the happy, contented people who buy, 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 and sit and watch television and munch their chips and are good little citizens. What would make them riot all over the globe? And what would make the governments prepare to deal with these mass riots? Well, it's going to be food shortages. It's going to be energy shortages. 
and the incredible rising cost of living. And no doubt, too, to say a few plagues thrown in on the way, because population reduction is a must-be for this whole agenda. Most folk will not leave the cities, even those who understand what's happening. Some people have told me they know what's going on and they'll go down where they are, simply because they have family there. You'll find that's the big bind as well. That's been discussed at the top, all different categories, even percentages and who will stay, who will move and so on. They figure all of this out because we're very predictable, very predictable people. And for an ordered society of totalitarian regimes, everyone in it, underneath it, must be predictable. Back with more after the following messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. What is the matrix? The matrix is everything around you. You're in the matrix. You get your ideas from the matrix, you get your education from the matrix, you're taught to how to perceive things from the matrix, and the matrix updates you and your thoughts, just like a computer program every so often, and you don't notice. You adapt, you adapt, and adapt, and adapt. We are the most adaptable species on the planet, so much so that the elite are so confident they can pull all of this off. And they're quite right if that was all there was to it. But the one thing, of course, they forget themselves, not really forget, but they don't talk about too much, is the fact that they tend to fight amongst themselves when they see their big idea, the ancient plan, come into view. They have a psychopathic trait in them, you see, and since it's only going to be one throne for one king of the world, eventually each one will want it. And that's when I'll be cheering on a lot of them to do each other in. Now, we buy our own chains at the bottom level. We always buy our own chains. We pay the taxes that build the chains. And then we accept the chains or the handcuffs when they're offered to us. And that's how technology has been presented to us as well. The computer was not given to the public for the public's benefit. It was put out there to bring in a completely integrated totalitarian system of observation on every individual. And even that the clumsy things they've given us are antiquated because they have chips which they can embed within you, which will give you everything happening in your head. And the screen will be in your mind rather than outside your eyeballs. And that's already done a long time ago. The computer as we have it now is simply to get you used to putting all your data in and being scared not to have it. In fact, personally, I could walk away from it and be happy not to see a computer again in my whole life. But what they're doing now, and it's interesting, this this article is from Parallel Normal on January the 4th. It came in. But it ties in with something I was told about a month ago because there's a professor from MIT. MIT is a big player in all of this. There's more government funding goes into the MIT for research and to high technology and warfare and so on than probably any other place in the U.S. And I know they were putting out the $100 laptop from MIT, which can integrate with other computers wirelessly 
and use their memory banks and basically go on in a, a limitless way, all connecting from computer to computer to computer. And the whole idea is, of course, it's pretty obvious that if you're all sharing the same data and memory, then all your information will be all over the place, and so will everyone else's. That's going to be your new uh, community, you might say. You're part of your new wireless community, and everyone will know everyone else. At least the big boys will know all of you. But this is from Parallel Normal on January the 4th, and it's got an article here, San Fran, San Francisco wireless plans get spooky. This is over the past few months, Free the Net has con connected over 40,000 people to the Internet. And it's got a networking system set up, and there's a map there. You'll see how this is uh, set up, this wireless Wi-Fi map system. And it says, um, investors with ties to the CIA, well, of course, that's always the same, Bechtel, you can trust those guys, and the Bin Laden family. Yeah, it's the Bin Laden family that the Bushes are in business with, by the way. I mean, come on. Do you know how many millions of people, or billions of people are on this planet? And the Bin Laden family, you know, the arch enemy guy, uh, it just happens to be in cahoots in business with the Bush family that's a president. What's the odds of that? Come on, folks, wake up, huh? Wake up. Anyway, and the Ben Laden family are restoring the hopes of some San Franciscans for low-cost, citywide wireless Internet access. And this is in trend. They call, they call it Meraki Networks. That's M-E-R-A-K-I, which is a play on, on Merica. You see, you just change the vowels around there, uh, which is also an ancient word. You'll find one very old holy book. It's but a place that was to rise in the West and take over the world. So Meraki Networks, a company run by two college kids in a break from their MIT studies, recently announced $20 million in new cash to support its plans for expansion in San Francisco. Meraki will sell and distribute its radio relay devices to homeowners, so we'll buy our change, you see, and apartment dwellers who can stick the devices in their windows to form neighborhood wireless networks that automatically configure themselves. This, is a, this will tie in with this uh, MIT project with the $100 laptops, as they call it, because you can actually put a couple of wires from them and, and uh, hook up to a tree in Africa and be able to pull on someone else's computer. It says, but Meraki is also backed by investors with a taste for intrigue. Some of Meraki's new capital, for example, will come from DAG Ventures, a firm co-founded by former investment partners from Bechtel. The division, formerly known as Bechtel Investments, is now partly owned by the Ben Laden family. The new investment firm, the San Francisco-based Fremont Group, remains largely in the hands of the Bechtel family. Like many municipal wireless projects, and as paranormal readers well know, San Francisco's original Muni, it's called Muni Wi-Fi scheme, or Mini, I guess it is, had a whiff of corruption about it. The city's plans eventually proved too expensive for the city's business partners, particularly Earthlink, which recently abandoned the project. Google's offered to track surveillance cameras on light poles while installing Wi-Fi routers around the town is poorly received by privacy watchdogs on the West Coast. Back with more after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix and reading from parallelnormal.com, an article to do with this wireless technology, but what's connected to it, apart from the companies that own it and CIA and all the rest of it, what's the real agenda? Well, part of it is to do with using your money, you'll be paying for it all, and they'll string up uh, surveillance cameras, more of them all over the place and tie it in. Now, they've already got a Wi-Fi system running, which you're helping to actually contribute to. It's very, very interesting. But the company DAG, interesting name, you see it backwards. You find it's an old knight in one of the senses. DAG is also backing, along with the CIA, the San Francisco-based camera surveillance and intelligence gathering company, 3VR Security. But DAG's ties to the internal community are even deeper than a handful of startups. One of DAG's co-founders, John M. Duff, Jr., sits on the executive committee of the World Affairs Council of Washington, D.C., very interesting organization, along with former CIA chief R. James Woolsey and many other former spies and diplomats. One of the WAC's organizational predecessors, the League of Free Nations Association, was heavily promoted by H.G. Wells and other powerful individuals in the years immediately following World War I as an antidote to the isolationism many people saw as a way to avoid a similar horror show in the future. So nothing changes, eh? Just, uh, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. It's always the same organizations or a new name that they give themselves as they, they morph into the, uh, what appears to be a different organization. It's always the same organizations, like chameleons down through the ages, just changing their shapes as they go along, and run by what you thought were intelligence agencies that were there somehow to defend you against, well, someone else. But no, these intelligence agencies were in fact set up to control all of you in this big idea, Brave New World, that's been on the books for an awful long time. And we're going into it, but we, we can't do it without our help. And even use the tax money that you pay for everything you buy. They use it all to string up this kind of system, this wireless system, so they can hook in their cameras and their microphones and snoop on you. We're an amazing species. We truly are an amazing species. It's like lemmings rushing to the sea. And you're telling them what they're doing to themselves, and it doesn't matter. They're trying to get between your legs and over your shoes, and and they go and plop, plop, plop into that sea there. Because people will go for almost anything that's offered there to them, especially anything to do with the Internet and faster, faster, and speed, speed, speed. They're addicted to speed. It used to mean something else not so long ago, being addicted to speed. Now everyone on the Internet there just can't get things fast enough. Mind you, everything they take in so quickly goes through their heads so quickly they don't retain any of it. And they're actually losing memory. I notice those who really surf heavily on the Internet, they can't retain thoughts for any length of time at all, never mind facts and, and, and so on. Because it's affecting their minds. And I'm sure even the flicker rate, which you don't see unless you use a, an old tape-type camera to photograph the screen, uh, that little flicker rate is affecting your brain pattern too. It wasn't put in there at that speed just for fun. Nothing ever is. It's the same with the television set. If you, if you record a television set screen 
with a camera, you'll see the same fold over, which you don't see consciously, but your subconscious does, takes it in, and it's very hypnotic. That's how it, so, it works so well for subliminal programming, and they knew that when they first gave us a darn thing. So, what kind of world are we in at the moment? Everyone knows it's a fearful world. It's a world where most of the fear is coming from the top. You can't turn any electronic device on, like a radio or television, without the ones on television hyping up fear. There's more fear than reality to everything right now. And that's all they're there to do is to, to instill into us that everything's unsafe. Everything around you is unsafe. My goodness. Uh, hamburgers all full of E. coli and, and yada yada and on and on it goes. Everything is so incredibly unsafe. And the world's falling apart. And CO2 is choking us all to death as they spray us every day from planes from the sky and have been for 10 years without mentioning a word of it on major, major stream media. They won't do it. They won't do it because, you see, it's all phony. We're all being tricked, as we always have been tricked. And this time, the Wizard of Oz has high technology. He's not just pulling levers behind a, a curtain. He's up in the sky. He's using harp technologies. He's using chemicals. He's using electronics and flicker rates and all the rest of it to alter our mindsets. And that's how we're being controlled today. We also have massive indoctrination at school. The state now truly gives whatever values it decides to give to the children. Uh, that's backed up by the big corporations that work hand in glove with tuition, and that's the video game industry, to create a particular type of society to last for maybe a generation or so because they needed a military to take over the world. They get a military with people who don't think too much, you don't give them much of uh, an education, you certainly don't give them reasoning capabilities, you dull reasoning capabilities. You don't want thinkers, you want doers, you want people who react, see, do, react as a standard, and that's what the video games, etc., is all about. You also disencourage individualism in the classroom. It's all groupthink and consensus, 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 which is ideal for going right into the military and following orders. That's why they've been giving them that kind of education for the last 25 years or so. They needed that age group that would now be adults to be in the military in different countries, uh, going off to kill for no good reason because they don't even need a good reason anymore. They want to do it. They want to get the real weaponry been playing all their life with the fake stuff and now they can be G.I. Joe and go and kick butt as they say they don't even need much propaganda anymore and times gone by they used to have a big build up to wars, big big build up and speeches major speeches by politicians written by professional speech, very good uh, script writers who would draw on previous uh, scripts from past orators and so on and they build up drama, tremendous drama, over a course of years before you could get a war started. Now it's done so quickly because uh, the youngsters who've been given their values by the state uh, literally want to get into that uniform and be the real thing rather than play with the fictional one on the Internet. They want to be G.I. Joe. And that they're given some sort of credence within society 
sudden import in society because before that there were nobody and suddenly you become sudden, uh, somebody with uh, that little haircut and that uniform and you're given a respect that you wouldn't otherwise have. And you think about things if you stand back. Why on earth do we respect people who want to go and kill for a living? You know, one time before standing armies, kings had to hire mercenaries. And mercenaries, they had no uniforms either. They just wore their their clothes that they had. And mercenaries brought their own weapons and, and swords and battle axes and so on. And they just, it was a straightforward contract. They worked for money. And they were allowed to loot the countries. They went and they could share some of the loot for themselves and keep it. And, uh, they, of course, whoever was leading it would get the biggest amount of loot. But they were allowed to scavenge around and take the extras and rape. That was okay, too. They couldn't do all these things in their own country. They'd be hung for it. But when in wartime, they're, they're, they're applauded for it. But they were always called mercenaries. And they were the lowest life form on the planet. They were low-level psychopaths that had no compassion or empathy for people. And the big trick, once again, with the bringing in of central banking and a debt system where you could tax all of the public to pay off debts for wars, which you could obviously then go and do and have, was to create standing armies and completely alter the appearance of the mercenary. Now, a mercenary is still a mercenary in peacetime. A soldier in peacetime is a mercenary. He joins in this so-called profession that he wants to do because he wants to do it. That's why he joins it. He used to play cowboys and Indians, uh, playing around trees in the forests, bang, bang, you're dead. And now he can go and be the real thing. It's a very immature person who's never grown up. And he wants to kill people and get little medals for doing so. And what they call honor. And he dreams of being a team leader. That's what they dream of. That's what sports is all about. Little Johnny, who's not neat and hen-toed, suddenly can become the team leader. Do a heroic act and all that kind of stuff. Very infantile characters stay in the military. Some get in and realize what it's all about and get out pretty quickly. But the lifers in there are lost causes, and they enjoy it. They're, they're, they're institutionalized inside a system. But basically, they're still mercenaries. That's why, and the boys who are in power at the moment in the U.S. know this, because they've had so much debate about it during the Vietnam era, they had a hard time uh, making a military do, a military that was conscripted, uh, obey them because these were characters who would not normally have joined the military. And they knew what was right and what was wrong. They didn't have that merciless streak in them. So they were not the greatest ones for, for causing massacres and stuff. And that's what war is about, really. You want people who will do what they're told and go off and create massacres and keep their mouth shut about it. That's what good mercenaries do, professional mercenaries. But when you conscript people, you're bringing ordinary people into it and their conscience tends to get the better of them. And that's why the same bunch that saw this back in the Vietnam era, who are in power today, vowed it would never happen again. And that's why they put big bucks into promoting video games to make sure a whole generation would rise up, who'd be indoctrinated with these instructions, the 
Intelligence Instruction Games, that's what they are. They're military instruction games and how he's trained troops to just kill without thinking. You think it all happened for fun and profit? No, it wasn't for fun and profit. These games were created by the military-industrial complex to desensitize soldiers from killing. And your children are playing with them. You know, there's been many debates at the top, and top think tanks wondering and even trying to put laws out there to decide who should and shouldn't have children. And some of the things you have to agree with them at the top because you look around you at what parents are today and what they do or don't do. And it does make you wonder. It does make you wonder where their brain is, where their mind space is. Do they have any mind at all? Can't they see what their children are becoming? Don't they see who's bringing them up, where their values are coming from? Don't they see the dysfunctional society all around them because they're generally part of it themselves, these same parents? Or is it just that they have no values themselves to pass on to the children and no concern about their own safety and the safety of the children? Russell himself, Bertrand Russell, John Dewey, and many others talked about this and how, as I say, they would get the children very young, very young, indoctrinate them scientifically so that any input from the parents would be null and void, cancelled out. It would not take on the children, and the state would give them their new values. Well, the problem is, you see, we're living through the second generation now, where the parents themselves have no values except those which the state gave them. Parents don't age anymore mentally. They try and party till they drop and die, acting like children themselves. Anything that can get old, they're terrified of getting old because we're brought up in a system where they had to segregate the elderly that had wisdom from the younger ones. It's been very successful. Every show on television, every movie series you see has to do with the young. The young, the young. And they even got silly document or silly dramas about doctors who are about 20 years of age, if they're that. Trying to make you think that only young matters, young matters, young matters. And yet every previous century knew that you gain wisdom as you get older. Now folk are terrified of getting older. Petrified of getting older. But at least the elderly, not so long ago, had wisdom to pass on. Amazing wisdom, which is all to do with survival. That's primarily what it was all about, was survival. And how tricks and cons are played upon people's on a large scale. That isn't taught anymore because the parents themselves, as they age and age, learn nothing. They know nothing. Everyone has been separated from everyone else, including the generations. And now you have elderly people, or as they call them in the hospitals, geriatrics, dying. And I'm telling you, there's no point in visiting them because of nothing to tell you. They've learned nothing their whole lives.
no more than anyone else. And that's a sad thing to say, but it's so true. At one time, the parents would have fought to keep their children at home until they had to go to school at five. Now you have single mums petitioning in the streets when the universal daycare goes on strike and they won't take after the little child and let them get off to work. They think it's the, it's the government's job to do that, to take care of their children for them. That was all done in a span of 20 years. Total reversal. The government now is your new nanny. So everything that the big boys wanted has pretty well happened. And now those who, who are growing up now expect those services as, as they actually see them as rights now. Twenty years ago, unless in fact they had big debates, should the government be responsible for your children? And the answer used to be no. Now it's yes. Now it's yes. And you wonder why you're in a dysfunctional society. And everyone's at everyone else's throat. If you have a mind, you better start taking it back and repairing it quickly for survival's sake. Be back with more after these messages. Green, green is green, they say, on the far side of the hill. 
and now trying to make it into reality. And we've all to give up our lives to save the planet and pay carbon taxes. Carbon taxes. This is another big catastrophe ahead if we don't declaim. But they give us our beliefs and they tell us what to worry about and then people do. They part what they hear and they'll argue over what they hear and they'll, they'll stone you to death if you actually think for yourself and say the king has no clothes. That's the majority of the people. As I started off this show talking about the dead and the land of the dead, that's what I'm talking about. The dead in all ages were those who go through their entire lives and don't have an original thought of their own. They parrot what they hear and see. They parrot their belief structure, their system. They parrot what is politically correct to parrot and therefore they're acceptable by the other members of the dead. And that's why in one holy book they said, let the dead bury their dead. There's nothing you can do for them. You only help them when they're lame. The dead lie down, you see, it's all allegory. The lame try to get up, try to walk. That's when you can fill them with information and help them, help them see as well. But until they ask for it, you can't help them. They will turn on you collectively because their opinions, as Russell said, are absurd. But as long as they all part the same opinions, they think they're sane. That's the final act of total brainwashing. Well, from myself and Hamish up in Ontario, Canada, at the end of a long week, it's good night. And may your God, may your gods go with you. <laughs>